And the fact of the matter is that folks seeking diabetes care, if they don't have the resources, can accumulate quite a bit of debt related to the care of the diabetes, especially uncontrolled diabetes. Because with uncontrolled diabetes, you can have very severe complications. People just get worse and worse and worse. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Well, I hope you're having a fabulous week this week, and I'm glad you're here and we're able to talk again together. I'm going to ask you a quick favor. I'm going to ask you to please share this podcast. Share it with someone that you care about, someone who you think might benefit from what we get to discuss here every week. And I certainly appreciate that. So I've had a really great week. This past week, we were at Disney's Vero Beach Resort. And it was a fun week. Nice weather. Very warm. Mid-80s each week. And it was very enjoyable. Disney's Vero Beach Resort is right on... It's actually on the beach in Sebastian, Florida which is just a few miles north of Vero Beach. And I was able to get in a nice long walk each day. It was a little hot, but I waited till late afternoon so that the trail that I walked on was shaded and it was very pleasant. One day was a little difficult because of some scattered thunderstorms, but I was able to work it in nonetheless. We did have four meals out this past week and three breakfasts and a lunch. Three of those four times was at our favorite place called Mrs. Max Filling Station. Absolutely fabulous food, great fun atmosphere there in Vero Beach. If you're ever down that way, stop into Mrs. Max Filling Station. And we also had breakfast one day at Country Ham and Eggs. And this was a spot that my daughter-in-law and daughter took us to, I think it's about a year ago, at Vero Beach. And they also have a very good breakfast. Both places you can get out of there with two people for breakfast for under 20 bucks. And really good food. I have bacon and scrapple and eggs, things like that. And just a really good time. I also managed to get in a Dole Whip. Now here's the thing. They talk about Disney magic. And yeah, I know a Dole Whip's only four or five bucks. Well, I guess they're five bucks now. But our room was not quite ready. Check-in was supposed to be at four, and our room was not until 4.15. So we got a text saying our room was ready. And then about an hour later, we got a knock on the door. And it was someone who handed us a gift certificate for two Dole Whips, apologizing for the delay in our room being ready. Now, again, this was 15 minutes. I don't know how you can complain about that. But anyway, we had Dole Whip and I had some. I did not finish an entire Dole Whip. That's a whole lot of sugar. But I did have half a one. 
and it was a nice little treat. We did take two days driving home from Florida. It ended up being with traffic and stops and everything else, about 16, maybe 17 hours in total. And, you know, we certainly could have done that in one day. I've done that numerous times before. But now that we're, you know, right around the 60-year mark or so, we tend to like to split it up. So we took two days, which made that, you know, no one day do we have more than eight hours in the car, which is which is much more pleasant than trying to, for us anyway, you know, trying to jam it all in together. So it was a great week. For my numbers this week, I'm looking at my Apple Watch fitness rings, and I did manage to close those five out of seven days. Like I said, we had two days driving home. I didn't get my rings closed on those two days, but that's fine. The rings are set at 30 minutes of exercise. That's where your heart rate is elevated. And 600 calories through movement is where I have mine set. And also 12 hours where you do some standing each of those 12 hours. So I managed to close all that five out of seven days, which makes me, you know, that puts me on a good path. My seven-day glucose readings with my CGM, my Libre Freestyle 3, CGM, I managed to average 110 for my 24-7 glucose average this past week, and that equates to a GMI of 5.9. So I think I'm right in range. I actually get my blood work taken tomorrow morning, and then I see my doctor in a couple weeks. So then we will see what this GMI, this calculated number, how that compares to an actual A1C 90-day blood test. So I'm looking forward to that. My body fat percentage is down a little bit. I hadn't stepped on a scale for the three weeks we were away, but it was 21.0 when we left on that three-week trip, and it is now 20.5 as of this morning. So, lost about a pound of fat or so over the last three weeks. Not bad for traveling. You know, stay at Disney's Hilton Head Resort, a cruise, and a stay at Disney's Vero Beach Resort, and still lost a pound of fat, so... Yay! My macros for this past week, I averaged 57 grams of carbohydrates each day, and I averaged 157 grams of protein each day. So that is right on according to my plan. For my Manjaro update this week, nothing too terribly interesting. I am still at the 7.5 milligrams. I am just over five months on Manjaro, and I'm, I'm holding steady at the 7.5 milligram level. I'll be discussing that with my doctor here in a couple weeks, but I have a feeling it's going to continue to stay at the 7.5 milligram level. I'm really not having any negative side effects. I'm having great A1C control. Now, I do need to, I think, start eating just a little bit more because I am still losing weight. Like I reported here in the last three weeks, I lost about a pound of body fat, which, you know, I can afford to lose. It looks like I still have maybe up to six more pounds of fat to lose before I hit the not overweight range. So six pounds until I'm not overweight. And then, you know, I think at that point, you know, that's normal, that's average weight. It's not average in the U.S. anymore. Most folks are overweight or obese. The majority of people are. 
So I'll be leaving that gang in about six pounds. And at that point, I really don't have a desire, I don't think, to lose any more weight than I've already lost. My challenge and win for this week, I'm a little stumped. I'm not really sure. It's been a fine week. We packed plenty of travel foods. We made some hard-boiled eggs. So for the two-day drive back, I had hard-boiled eggs, and I had cheese, and I had protein shakes, and I had protein bars. So really, you know, that was not a challenge. Certainly the time at Vera Beach was not a challenge. We ate out a few times. We made some standby meals in the crock pot and, you know, had a little Dole Whip, had a little treat. So that really was not a challenge. I did close my rings five days without any problem. So I'm just going to chalk this up to a status quo week. And, you know, I always call those a win. There's nothing wrong with doing what you're supposed to do according to your plan and, you know, having a good week. So that's what I had, and I'll take it. Let's look at the news. I got some articles for you out of the news this week. The first one here is called The Three Colorful Patches on Your Skin That Could Indicate Diabetes. Now, read this article. As I suggest, you read all these articles for yourself. But basically, they're talking about colorations down in the area of your shins. In fact, these are sometimes called shin spots. And it looks like small, round, pink, reddish, or brown patches that are sometimes indented. They almost look like scars. And they're usually, it says here, one centimeter to two and a half centimeters. And two and a half centimeters is equal to about an inch. So less than an inch, up to an inch. It says here the patches are harmless and don't itch, ooze liquid, or cause pain. But they say that even though they're sometimes mistaken for age spots, they also can be a sign of type 2 diabetes. So if you notice yourself getting some of those and you don't regularly have your blood sugar checked, that could be reason to go ahead and have it checked. So check that one out. The next one here is called Doing This One Thing Before a Meal Can Reduce Insulin Spikes. Now, we're going to be talking about sugar spikes next week, but this is talking about insulin spikes. And what it says is that you can have these insulin spikes controlled. Now, again, I don't do this, but it says here that if you drink apple cider vinegar, it can make your insulin levels more level, not spiky. And now, quite frankly, a spike in an insulin level can be a good thing if you're insulin sensitive. It means you're storing away the sugar. But I don't know. You can check this one out, and it says apple cider vinegar. Drinking some, taking a shot before your meals. Now, it does say to combine that with consuming a balanced diet, exercising regularly, managing stress levels, get enough sleep, stay hydrated, seek medical care when you need it. So basically, if you do all the right things, then it says also take apple cider vinegar, which uh, I was hesitant to include this one this week, but it's interesting. It's some information. They don't really cite any studies 
They don't really cite any proof or say why it happens, but check it out. Take a look at it. I, I don't know. I hesitate a little bit on that one, but there it is. You guys can make your own decision. Now, here's one that I thought was very interesting. Proper chewing may lower blood sugar in people with diabetes. Now, why? Well, what they say in this article is that your digestion starts in your mouth. So your saliva can start and properly start your digestion. And what they're saying here is that they studied folks who were not able to chew. Folks that had poor teeth or other reasons that they could not really chew. And what they're thinking is that folks in that situation might actually be also eating less healthy foods, maybe more sugary foods, things like that. But they did the study, and what they said is that when they fixed the reasons that people couldn't properly chew, sometimes it was teeth implants, things like that, that the average glucose of those people who had type 2 diabetes dropped from 7.8 to 6.2. So, you know, that was interesting. They, they compared it to a control group, and there's definitely a statistical change by the people who had their chewing problems fixed. So if you have issues with your teeth, you might want to consider them, you know, that being an important thing for your blood sugar control. Again, another interesting one. I'm not sure if it affects you or not, but interesting reading nonetheless. Now here's an unfortunate one, this last article. Many people living in the, quote, diabetes belt are plagued with medical debt. And we did discuss a few weeks ago about how different diabetes medications and the supplies and the CGMs, all those things come at a heavy price, especially some of these newer medications come at a very, very heavy price. And the fact of the matter is that folks seeking diabetes care, if they don't have the resources, can accumulate quite a bit of debt related to the care of the diabetes especially uncontrolled diabetes, because with uncontrolled diabetes, you can have very severe complications. People just get worse and worse and worse. It can be kidney disease, having to go on dialysis. It could be going blind. It could be people having, unfortunately, amputations or just frequent, frequent doctor and hospital visits. So what they're finding here is that these folks in, in, and it's in areas with high poverty. They're calling it the diabetes belt. But it's people in areas with high poverty are having a very difficult time both caring for themselves and also covering financially those costs that they incur when they do try and care for themselves. So very interesting article. I think it's a, it's a problem we have here in the U.S., where everyone does not have equal access to health care, that's for sure. And there's some folks who simply can't afford decent health care. And when you have type 2 diabetes and you don't have good health care, well then, ironically, that's when the health care you do get becomes more and more expensive. So good articles. Check those out. A couple of them maybe a little questionable, but good articles nonetheless. 
Our main topic for today is the benefits of food prepping. Now, this is something that we frequently do. You know, it, it could be our Mississippi pot roast. It could be cooking off a whole lot of bacon. Various ways and that we can food prep. Now, I was introduced to food prepping first through CrossFit. Their nutritional guidelines often suggest preparing meals in advance. Now, I recognize for myself personally, it does save me some time and it does make sure that I have good options available to me. But I wanted to rely on a more professional source, so I looked up this article called Seven Benefits of Meal Prepping. So I'm going to be taking much of this information right from that article, and of course I'm going to link that article right in the show notes. It'll be down below the news section. So, number one, and this is something I found out myself, you'll obviously save time. Instead of trying to figure out, and sometimes trying to figure out what to have takes just as long as it does to make it, but instead of trying to figure that out, you have planned ahead. You've cooked maybe once or twice a week, and you've made more than what you're going to need in your immediate use. Typically, we freeze a lot of what we make and then we have an assortment of things to choose from. Now, you're limited by, I guess, your freezer space and how much you can pre-prepare your groceries and purchasing them and things like that. But it makes it a little bit simpler. You're often going to have fewer dishes to clean up, fewer messes to clean up, fewer hours each week spent food prepping. A lot of people, I think, find that on a Sunday afternoon, it's a really great time to cook for the week. Maybe you're not rushing to work. Maybe you don't have to get the kids ready. You know, maybe you have time on a Sunday afternoon to prepare ahead, let's say, two, three larger meals and enough that will give you, you know, residual meals for at least five days. Obviously, on the day you cook, you're going to probably have one of those that night. But then you either have lunches pre-made for your work. Some people simply do the meat and veg portion ahead of time, and then do maybe a side salad the day of that they're going to eat, or something like that. You don't have to necessarily make your entire meal ahead of time, but often we do, and that way we can portion it and get it into the little glass Pyrex dishes that we like to use for freezing, because then you can also put those back in the microwave. So we do find that it saves us a whole lot of time. You'll have more money available to you because the fact of the matter is preparing a larger meal, you can always buy your ingredients in bulk. You know, like I said, freezing the extra food for later. But if you have meals ready for you, you'll be less tempted to eat out in restaurants. And that's where the majority of folks' food money goes. You can easily spend more in two or three meals at a restaurant than you would for a week's worth of groceries, especially for buying value packs, things like that, and cooking a lot up at once. You can save some money. So it it definitely saves money. I mean, there's no way around that. I think it definitely saves money by cooking ahead and then having that instead of going out for either takeout or sitting in restaurants or go getting little quick convenient things that are oftentimes more expensive. You can also better manage your portion sizes. I think most of us will agree that when you do go to a restaurant, what they serve you is maybe 
two or three times more than you would normally think is a good portion size for yourself. So that's something that's helpful if you're trying to eat properly, eat things that are healthy to you in the amounts that are healthy to you. You'll find that by cooking ahead and making your own meals, you can definitely control your portion sizes. Also, if you freeze all these portions from these big meal prep sessions, you can put into each one of those freezer containers exactly how much you're supposed to have for a meal. And most likely, not going to take two or three out of the freezer. You're going to take the one out of the freezer, you're going to make it, and then you don't have the energy to get another one out, and so you're done. So that can be helpful for your portion sizes. Number four is it might just lower some of your stress levels. If you don't have to constantly be figuring out what to make for dinner or struggling with when you're going to get to the grocery store or what you're going to have tonight, what you're going to have tomorrow night, that can actually lower your stress levels. When you only have to plan it once or maybe twice a week, cook it, and then the rest of the time, the other five meals, you're simply pulling it out of the freezer or pulling it out of the refrigerator. It makes it so much less stressful. Also, by cooking your own foods, you're going to get better in the kitchen. So it might be a pain when you're first starting out, if you're used to take out or you're used to going out to restaurants all the time. But once you start, you can find that just a little bit of experimentation in the kitchen can give you whole new interesting foods that you're actually going to enjoy eating. And hey, you gained a new skill. You're going to have a better relationship with food. That's what they list here as number six. You're going to be more familiar with what you're eating. You're going to be more familiar with what the ingredients are. You're going to be able to pick and choose those things that A, you enjoy, but B, are also helpful to what you're trying to manage with your eating. Now here's one, and it's their last one. I didn't really consider this, but they say here, you might inspire others. You know, in today's age of Instagram, you might start putting what you're cooking on your Instagram feed or maybe on your Facebook or maybe you just tell relatives or maybe that when their relatives come by they'll see you preparing these foods. You could inspire others to start cooking healthy things for themselves and maybe help them along their plan and help them with their goals really just by doing something that's helpful to you. So I thought that was interesting. I wanted to share that with you. Those are what this article says to be the seven benefits of meal prepping. And again, for us personally, the fact that it saves us time, the fact that it removes the decision-making process, it helps manage portion sizes, does save us some money, I think. Those are the main reasons that we do it. And you might have your own reasons too. I'd be very interested in hearing from you as far as do you meal prep? How do you meal prep? What are some of your favorite things to meal prep? I'd really be interested in hearing. Now, this is the part where we look at your questions, and we don't have any questions this week. So if you have a question or a comment or feedback on the podcast, I'd be very interested in hearing from you. There's two ways to contact me, to send in your question or comment. The first is to simply send me an email. My email address is tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. That's my email address. Send it in. 
The second way is to pop on over to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, click on Feedback in the menu, and just fill out that simple little form, send in your comment, your question, your feedback. I would absolutely love to hear from you. The other thing I would ask you to do, and I asked you at the top of the podcast, I'm going to ask you again real quick. Please share this podcast. We don't have any advertisers. I don't have any sponsors. The only way really for people to find out about this podcast is for folks like you to share it. Just share it with one person this week. That would be a tremendous help. For next week, what's next? I'm going to do some alliteration here. Next week, I'm going to talk about the six S's of sugar spikes. Is that enough alliteration? That's four. Six S's of sugar spikes. That's what I'm going to talk about next week. What are sugar spikes? I'm talking about blood sugar spikes, but B did not start with the letter S, so I just call it six S's of sugar spikes. And each of these S's starts with an S as well. So listen next week. I'm excited to talk about it. I might give you some information that you don't already have. And that's my goal here. Talk to you later. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.